This audio is from South Fellowship Church, located in Littleton, Colorado. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, it's a joy to have you with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Numbers chapter 11. I'm sure that's where you were doing your morning devos this week, so you know right where it is. Fourth book in your Bible, Numbers chapter 11. When I was growing up, um, there was a, a new form of art that sort of came onto the scene, um, and, and it was called Magic Eye. Anybody remember these? Uh, they're still around. Um, but I can remember as a kid walking past a gallery that, that had all these windows in it, and you looked into this gallery, and, and this was before I knew what these were, uh, you had people that were just standing in front of these pictures staring, you know, it was this, this very blank stare on their face, some of them had their eyes crossed, and I thought, this is a strange phenomenon, where do I uh, not sign up for that? Um, anyway, uh, magic eye is a form of art that if you um, sort of cross your eyes, which if you could all do that right now, that'd be great. Thank you, you look wonderful. And then um, move them back into focus. And as you do that, what's uh, one-dimensional here will pop out and be three-dimensional before you. Anybody have it? Okay, yeah. What is it? An equal sign. Um, You must love math, my friend. Yeah, (laughs) It's actually um, uh, a few different waves, so I'm told. Yeah, I'm not the greatest at these, but in theory, in theory, this pops out, and it's a, yeah, sort of different waves, a few lines. I guess if you love math, it could be an equal sign. Um, So, yeah, I think our lives are a little bit like this piece of art. I think, you know, sometimes life can look sort of one-dimensional. I think that at times it can feel a little bit flat, it can feel a little bit stale, and, but I also think that if we had um, a, a little bit of a different way of looking at the things that were around us, that maybe it would look differently. Maybe it would, maybe it would pop out and, and have a few more dimensions about it. See, here's the thing. You don't change anything about this picture when you see it pop out in 3D. You change something about the way that you see it. You don't change anything about the actual picture, though. And as I've thought about our time together this morning, my expectation, my prayer, my hope is not necessarily that God would change anything in your life. My expectation and my hope, my earnest prayer is that he would uh, definitively change the way that we see the things in our life. Because I think that that a lot of times life can be like this, and we can just um, go about our day and go about our week and go about our year and decades without ever really truly seeing and responding to the things that he's placed in our life. Um, If you have your Bible, like I said, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 this morning. Numbers chapter 11. And let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, The Israelites are this nation that God is working both in and through. Uh, They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. Uh, God miraculously rescued them. He brought them out of slavery. He rescued them uh, from the Pharaoh's domain over their life. And if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you know how that went down. Or Ben-Hur, you know how that went down. And um, uh, through a series of plagues, they were released from their slavery. Uh, They walked to the Red Sea. The Red Sea splits. They walked through on dry ground. I mean, that's one of those things that if you're a journaler, you may mention that in your journal. So today, uh, God parted the Red Sea. 
And maybe, just maybe, if you were a part of it, that would be something that you wouldn't quickly forget. Well, the uh, nation of Israel continues, um, and they're wandering in the desert, but they see God by a, a, a pillar or a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. He's miraculously present with them. Things happen, like he gives them the Ten Commandments, the law, and teaches them what it looks like to be a nation that would, would love him, would honor him, would follow him. Um, he does things in their midst, like uh, turns a rock into a stream of water for them to get nourishment from. And every single day, every day except on the Sabbath day, when they wake up, there is on the ground this manna. Man, it's sort of like bread, but it literally means, what is it? Uh, evidently, they had a hard time identifying it when it first appeared on the ground. But it was this manna, it was this miracle, this gift of God that every single day when they walked out of their tents would be present, would be there. And there was always enough manna for them to have uh, enough to eat, enough nourishment, never more than they needed, but also never less than they needed. And it was just always there. And in the passage we're going to pick up in this morning, they've been in the desert for two years eating manna every single day. It's a lot of what is it. So there's two ways that you can look at that. The initial way I looked at it was manna every day. Are you kidding me? Like, I love hot sauce, so I'd be like, God, hey, I'm cool with the manna, but if we could get a little Cholula up in here, that'd be awesome, right? Um. So that you can look at it like manna every day? God? Really? Or, 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 you can look at it manna every day. Wow. Wow. Like, God, every day you were faithful. And God, every day you were present, and every night you were at work, and every morning when I walked out, there was manna. Here's what I know about uh, you and what I know about me, is that the longer we are recipients of the constant goodness of God, the harder it becomes to see it as his goodness. Isn't that true? The longer we're recipients of God's constant goodness and his grace in our lives, the harder it is to, to say, manna, oh my goodness, it's here again today. It becomes a little bit like manna. Can we switch it up a bit? God, maybe flavored manna. Take a, take a, a page out of the Doritos book. I mean, can we go Cool Ranch manna? <laughs> Spicy nacho manna? Just manna? Just manna. See, the longer you and I are recipients of God's goodness, the easier it is to overlook it as just being normal. And in this passage, what we're going to see is that God's grace, his constancy, his provision is anything but normal. And in hearts that it becomes normal, um, there starts to be this callousness. There starts to be this hardness. There starts to be this, um, we'll, we'll talk about four thieves that we see in this passage of gratitude, of gratitude. 
But my guess is that you have some manna in your life too. Uh, see, it's easy to, to look at the Israelites and go, wow, I mean, that's a, that's a miracle. That's not, just, uh, that's not just God's goodness. That's a miracle every morning. Are you kidding me? How could you overlook that? But my guess is that you have manna in your life too. Like maybe that breath you just took is manna. It's just there. It's assumed it'll always be there. And the longer we live in God's goodness and grace, the easier it is to overlook it. I can remember the very first morning that I woke up next to Kelly when she was my wife. June 2nd, 2002, to the glory of God. And I looked over at her as before she woke up. I looked over at her and I thought, wow, God, you are like way better than I ever could have possibly imagined. Thank you. But did I tell you, um, please don't take offense at this, babe. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do that this morning. I didn't do that this morning. I didn't do that yesterday morning. Uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody throw me a rope here, thank you. Because God's gifts, some, even, his, even his best gifts, start to become normal. I think normal is one of the biggest enemies in your life right now. I think God's constancy is potentially one of the things that's blinded you, your eyes and eroded your ability to just say back to him, thank you, because it's just normal. And I just want to remind you today, it's not normal. It's grace. It's his goodness. It's gift. The Israelites missed that, and you and I may miss it too. Numbers chapter 11, let's jump in to our study this morning. It says, and the people, what's that word? Complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Now, here's the thing, quick time out. My hope is that if that happened to you and I, we might start to revisit our direction a little bit. Just go, hey, guys, I don't know. If maybe, maybe we're not walking down the right path. Maybe we want to pause. The, the Israelites don't. They keep going. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And so the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Burned among them. We're going to see four thieves of gratitude in this passage. The first one that's embedded within this passage, the other ones are going to be explicit, that's embedded within this passage is that of entitlement. I think what started to happen in the the lives and hearts of the Israelites is they just started to feel like manna should always be there. And not only that, but, but God, if it would be nice if you could mix in a little bit of quail, a little bit of fish, a little bit of meat for crying out loud, Lord. I mean, we know manna is always going to be there, but if you could differentiate a little bit, we would really appreciate it. You see, here's what entitlement does. Entitlement causes me, it causes you to see the gifts that God gives as things we deserve rather than his grace on display. 
as, as things we deserve rather than his grace and his mercy and his goodness on display. So my guess is there's some things in your life that maybe we've just taken for granted. Maybe we've just assumed that they'll always be there. I was, um, this last week, I was getting a cold, and as I was brushing my teeth, I just had this moment of, like, tickle in the back of my throat, and I thought, oh, no, please don't let me get sick. You ever had that moment, like, you're, you're just, you know you're going down, and it's not a good thing, and my kids are Petri dishes, and they bring it all home, and so I'm like, gosh, dang it, Lord, come on, please. Here's the thing. I'm quick to, when I start to feel myself getting sick, cry out to the Lord, but here's the thing, I felt great for like months. And not one time did I recognize that as gift and turn back to God and say thank you. I don't know if you're like me, but it's a lot easier for me to grow accustomed to God's blessing and think that I either deserve them or just simply that they're always, they will always be there. And it sometimes takes a little bit of a nudge from God to break me out of this entitlement mindset. See, here's what they missed. Manna wasn't just manna. Manna was a miracle. Manna was a miracle. Manna was grace. Manna was gift. Manna was mercy. But it was just there so consistently that it started to look like manna. It started to just taste like bread. It started to just be normal. It started to grow stale. And instead of waking up and saying, wow, manna, they woke up and said, wow, manna? As if they deserved that and a little bit. My prayer this week has been, Lord, free us from believing that your blessings are normal. Let me say that again, because I'm going to invite you to say it with me in just a moment. Lord, free us from believing that your blessings are normal. Will you say that with me? Lord, free us from believing that your blessings are normal. They're not normal, friends. Look up at me for just a second. They're not normal, there is grace on display in your life. And sometimes he's so consistent and so constantly good that our eyes can't see it. My prayer is that um, we would see it differently today and that maybe, just maybe it would pop out a little bit and we'd go, wow, wow. Numbers 11, verse one, and the people complained. They complained and the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Oh, yeah, their misfortune. They're free people. They're not in slavery anymore. And God, every single morning, provides them free food. I mean, yeah, their misfortunes are great, aren't they? And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. I wonder if in our lives, too, one of God's greatest grievances with us is complaining. Because here's the thing. As I've thought about this now, I complain not outwardly a lot, but inwardly. Man, where's the complaining train? Sign me up. I'm on board. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Oh, sorry, the second thing we see. 
thief of gratitude is complaining. It's complaining. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said this, do all things. Now, I've checked uh, my Bible. I've checked your translation too. uh, And nowhere I can find any footnote there that you sort of follow one down except when fill in the blank. Except when life gets hard, except when life doesn't go the way that you want it to. Hey, just quick little newsflash. Paul writes this from jail. Wrong, wrongfully imprisoned, essentially, in jail. And he says, hey, do all things without grumbling or disputing, without uh, complaining or arguing, as the NIV says. You just want to stop him and go, really? Had to go absolute on us, Paul? Couldn't leave like the door cracked open a little bit the, the, unless this happens that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know what I think he just told you? I think he told you at your workplace how to stand out. I think he told you in your family how to stand out. I think he told you in the neighborhood that you live in how to, how to be and live differently to where people go, man, that, there's something different about that person. What did he say? He just said, simple, simple, simple. Don't complain. Do everything without arguing, grumbling, complaining. See, here's what I've learned about myself as I've tried to sort of put this code on this week. I complain a lot. Wednesday morning, case and point. Kelly leave, uh, left before I, I got up and I heard the door sort of click closed and the instant it did, I kid you not, the instant it did, my son Reed started crying, nine month old. And I'm like, how dare that kid? <laughs> if only it would have been 10 minutes earlier, she could have changed the diaper instead of me, right? So, so um, I'm not fully sanctified yet, you know that, right? Okay. <laughs> So I'm lying in bed, and I'm thinking, oh, golly, Reed, come on, brother. So I, I go in there, and I clean his diaper, and I change him, and I bring him back into bed with me, and we're lying there, and we're just sort of snuggling, and he falls asleep, and I'm starting to fall back asleep, too, and my two other kids wake up, and uh, I think, okay, Lord, come on, just allow them miracu- miracles upon miracles for them to be just quiet and play nicely in their room for just a half hour. Well, it was, it was so quiet that... I started to go, something's up, man. <laughs> As a parent, you know that, that it's too quiet, red flag, alarms going off in your head. What are they? They're conspiring. They're doing something in there that's not good. And a few minutes later, Ethan walks into my room, and I look at him, and he goes, hi, Daddy. And I said, hi, Ethan. Just sort of wait. He goes, Avery peed all over my room. Like, I'm not even out of bed yet, dude. <laughs> Can we stop? Can we just back that up for a moment? Let me get a cup of coffee and then tell me that. <laughs> so I'm in there. Like, it's not even 7 o'clock yet. I'm in there. I've got, like, resolve out. I'm scrubbing the carpet. And I'm like, these kids, you know? Like, and so all of a sudden, here's what happened. Before 7 o'clock, one of God's greatest blessings in my life turned into an inconvenience. One of the best things he's ever brought into my life I'm complaining about because things go just a little bit off from the way I designed my morning. 
and the manna that's there. And it's just always there. He's just always consistent, and he's so good, I started to complain about. As I'm scrubbing the floor, I'm I'm thinking, man, Ryan, you are so, so, so quick to forget. So quick to forget. How many people have, have I walked with in my life who would absolutely love to have kids? I can't. Not only that, but that, that 12 hours earlier, we were hanging out as a family and just laughing like that really good belly laugh, you know, that only kids can do. They're just like unashamed laughing. And so my heart can oscillate so quickly between God, I'll praise you and I'll worship you and thank you to, I can't believe you brought these little boogers into my life. (laughs) Right? And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we're not deliberately going back to God to say thank you for the things he brings into our life, we can turn into complainers. Where even his best things, even the the best stuff he brings in, we find ways to complain about. You know why I think that breaks God's heart? Because this is one of the most definitive steps away from worship, complaining is. That the moment we start complaining, it's impossible. It's impossible to both complain and worship. Did you know that? It's impossible to go back to God and complain about something and worship him for all that he is. Now, you can cry out to him, but you can't complain and worship. That's why Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for although they knew God, he's talking about people who aren't following after Jesus, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give what? Thanks to him. So because one of the first steps away from relationship with God and and acknowledgement of his goodness and living in his gift of life and responding to him with worship is we don't give thanks to him. Like, Like manna just becomes normal. It becomes expected and it becomes a little bit stale. And so we say to God, no thanks, God. I'm not gonna honor you and recognize you for that. And he says this domino sort of hits its other ones down and in their, uh, they became futile in their thinking and their hearts became darkened. Their foolish hearts became darkened. So one of the best ways for you and for me to cultivate relationship with the giver of all life is to be intentional about gratitude. Not, not just on Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving. I mean, thank you for Thanksgiving, Abraham Lincoln. We're grateful. But this is God's idea. This is God's idea. Because he's the giver of it all. It's, it's his idea. And when you and I go back to him and say, thank you, God, I cannot believe how abundantly good you've been to me, it stirs our heart with worship for him. So what's the manna in your life that maybe you've just overlooked? The stuff that's just there every day and it's just become normal. And what would it look like for you to say back to him, God, give me some different eyes? Because what I found out about myself is that it's a lot easier to complain than it is to praise. It's easier to see what I don't have than to see what I do. 
Uh, case in point, my son Reed was born um, about nine months ago. So we have this brand new little baby, just this gift from God. We're holding him in the hospital room, and my, my parents come in. My dad's pushing my mom in a wheelchair. And I have just right in front of me this choice. And so here's my thought, and I'm just gonna invite you in a little bit. Here's my thought. Uh, I say, God, I'm so thankful for that. Where are you here? Where are you here? And it's easier for me to camp out on where are you here than I can't believe you've given me this gift. And in some of the best moments of life, you know this, that they're intertwined also with the reality of living in a broken world and the pain and the hurt and the sorrow. The question is, which will we choose to see? And what will we choose to do with that? I mean, will it become manna where we look back to God and say, if we just had a little bit more meat, life would be okay? Or will we worship? Goes on, numbers. It says, now the rabble, isn't that a brilliant word? Was a, the rabble that was among them had a strong Craving. Circle that word craving. And the people of Israel, they wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Uh, the word craving here could also be translated and probably is in some of your Bibles lust. It's this idea, this belief if we had that, then we'd be okay. It's one of the greatest thieves of gratitude in your life and in mine. The, the false belief that if we had a little bit more or a little bit shinier, or a little bit brighter, or a little bit more flavorful, then we'd be okay. The reality of it is, is that quail would start to taste old after a while too, wouldn't it? And you just ask the Israelites, they're going to have it coming out of their nostrils in a little while. One of the greatest thieves of gratitude it's craving, this word that means lust. It carries with it, it's this shadow word that carries with it the promise of satisfaction that it can never and never does deliver. We have this obsession, this craving, this lust in all sorts of different ways. It, sometimes it's, it's in regards to sexuality. Sometimes it's in regards to relationships. Sometimes it's in regards to um, our stuff, our house, our car, our position, our work, but we have this problem too, this thief too. And it does, it turns into this obsession. It did for them. My guess is that for a long time, they started crying out to God, God, if you would just do this. And if you uh, follow down to verse 10, you see that it didn't just end on them. It spread throughout the whole entire community, this idea of dissatisfaction with what God had brought and with the miracle that was on the ground every single morning. It just spread like a, uh, just a disease throughout the camp. God, if we had this, then we'd be happy. If we had more, then we'd be okay. If it tasted better, come on, Lord, come on. 
And like a tape, it just played over and over and over and repeat on their mind. And man, that turns into this hindrance when in reality it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Man, I was, um, my, my son is obsessed with toys right now. And we were, um, I mean, just you walk through Target and there is an impending meltdown. It doesn't matter what, where, what you're trying to do. It's just there will be tears either over ice cream or toys, one of the two, okay? So he's just, that's where, that's where he lives right now. And it's constant toys, 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 more toys, better toys, bigger toys, newer toys. And so um, I am, um, I, I, I was, we were uh, sitting on his bed, he and his sister, before we went to bed and we were uh, memorizing John 3.16, Right, so they had like the first part of it down a little bit, and I said, for God so loved the world, and they're tracking with me, and I said, so he gave, and so I'm thinking at this point, somebody's going to like bust through the door and hand me like Father of the Year award, right? I'm like, oh, this is awesome. They're just, they're going to nail this, and so, so God so loved the world that he gave, and Ethan goes, Toys. All right, evac, go to bed, go to bed. No, you can't have water, just go to bed, all right? And I'm so glad that we grow out of that. As we get bigger, as we get older. I mean, isn't it true that this idea of craving settles into the human soul so easy and enslaves us? to the idea that something bigger, newer, nicer, more expensive, whatever, might actually bring us life. You know, the opposite, the opposite of this craving is what the Bible calls contentment, contentment. And it talks a fair amount about this word. One of the areas that it uh, talks about it most is when Paul, from jail, writes to the Philippian church. He says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length, you have re, uh, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no way of showing it. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, he says. For I've learned, if you have your own Bible, you can circle that word learned. In whatever situation, I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, he says, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul says, listen, whatever life brings me, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, jail, I'm okay. Freedom, I'm okay. Abundance, I'm gonna make it. Need, I'm going to make it. You see, here's what he has. Here's what he has that oftentimes we don't, is that undergirding all of the circumstances and stuff of life, as he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Jesus is better than it all. That's where he lives. He lives at this foundation that in, in hunger, in need, in plenty, in want, in jail, in freedom, doesn't matter that knowing Christ is better than it all. So he goes, I've learned the secret. I've learned, meaning it didn't come to me naturally, and meaning it, it took some work. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. 
And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And just clarify really quick. You know, you know that verse isn't about football, right? It's not about how much you can bench press. It's not about football. It's about in the storms and in the trials and in the mountaintops and the peaks of life, Jesus is good enough to carry us through it all. It's all. So we can look at whatever he brings into our life and say back to him, thank you. Thank you. Those two words, I think, could be the most powerful words in shaping your own internal dialogue and shaping your soul and causing you to point back to Jesus and say, wow. Man, I can't believe it's here again this morning. Not manna, wouldn't it be nice to have something else, but manna, wow, Lord. instead of just walking right by. And the rabble that was among them had this strong craving, and the people of Israel, they wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at, this manna, miracle of manna. Now this is what we call um, reinterpreting history. Okay, It's what we call reinterpreting history because did they eat fish for free in Egypt? Sort of. They maybe didn't take out their wallet and pay for it. Why? Because they didn't have anything in their wallet. Why? Because they weren't getting paid for any of the things that they did. Why? Because they were in slavery. They were making bricks without straw, but yeah, they got a free fish dinner. Some cucumbers on the side and some leeks and some onions. And this transition that starts to happen in their soul, they start to go, man, wasn't that great back then? Wasn't that, wasn't that awesome back then? One of the greatest thieves of gratitude in your life and my life is looking back and thinking God was better then than he is now. Listen, he's just as much God now as he was then. And what they do, and what we often do too, is we start to compare. And maybe it's not just, God, you were great in my life back then, and now I just have some questions. Manna, really? Manna? Maybe it's not just internally and with ourselves, but we start to look to other people. Have you ever noticed that it's amazing how thankful you can be until you encounter somebody that has more? I mean, how grateful we can be for our house until we go to somebody else's house, they throw a dinner party, and we go, wow, and we really could use another bedroom? Isn't this just me? Or we take a ride in somebody else's car and go, yeah, I really, I do need a camera that shows me what's in back of me. Because this is hard. <laughs> or, 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 I mean, you name, you name it. I'm not knocking if you got the camera. You're going to be like, no, Ryan, maybe we should take your car to lunch. That's what you're not, It's not about that. 
It's about what happens in our soul when we start going, this is better than that. We rob ourselves of the ability to look back to God and say, thank you. Thank you. I mean, you look at the things around you even just right now. The fact that you have clothes on your body, probably have shoes on your feet, you're sitting in a room that may or may not be too warm. Can you imagine how many places around the world they're complaining about that? Not too many. You're gonna walk out to your car. You're gonna put your key in there. And statistically speaking, you're gonna turn that car and it's gonna turn on. That, that puts you in the top, I don't know what percent of our world. You're gonna go home and maybe go out and grab some lunch. It may taste like manna. <laughs> but please don't miss it. It's grace. It's gift. It's mercy. It's God being exceedingly, abundantly good to you. And then with the proverbial cup half full, every single one of us has an opportunity to choose. Now, will you look up at me for just a second? It's a choice. It's a choice to either see the blessing of God or to see places we wish he would do something a little bit different. It's a choice. And you will see in your life what you look for, I promise you. If you make it a, a discipline by God's grace to be grateful, you'll start to see things to be grateful for around every single corner. It'll be crazy. People around you might think you're weird. That you're just looking, it's just manna. You've walked by it for days upon days upon days. And my prayer, my hope is that God might just open your eyes a little bit this morning to go, wow, that's not just manna, that's miracle. That's not just, that's not just there, that's God's gift. It's his grace, it's his mercy so clear and so weighty and so heavy on my life that I have to turn back to say, thank you. Thank you. But it's a choice. Listen to the way that the commentator Matthew Henry puts it. He says this. He, uh, he was robbed one night. And after he passed away, they looked at his journal. And this is what he writes on the night that he was robbed. He says this. God, I thank you that I've never been robbed before. I thank you that though they took my wallet, they did not take my life. I thank you that though they took it all, it wasn't very much. I thank you that I was the one who robbed and not the one who was robbing. Perspective. That's perspective. That's a change. And in our, in our internet-driven Facebook, Twitter, celebrity culture, it's always easy now to find somebody who has more. But what would it look like to be the type of people who say back to God, God, we have exactly what you want us to have, and for that, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Manna. Again. Today. See, the breath you just took was manna. 
the relationships in your life are God's grace to you. The kids that you have, the marriage that you have, the car that you have, the house that you live in, the grace, 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 manna, 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 all of it. And if you're like me, it's easy to just walk through life and sometimes even pick it up and go, God, could you do a little bit better than this? But I think he says back to us today, better than my grace, better than gift, better than miracle, better than simply receiving from my hand. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I want to live the kind of life where I notice where I notice, where I see the things that God brings into my life and I respond with gratitude for him and his goodness. I don't want God's consistency to erode my ability to see his blessings anymore. And so maybe, just maybe, before we run out of these doors, you just lay some stakes down in your life of things that you're grateful for. In fact, as we, as we close here, can I invite you just to close your eyes for a few moments? The people in your life. There are people that have just sort of turned into manna. They're just normal. They're there. Can I just point out a reality? That won't always be the case. Either you won't be there at some point or they won't. It's gift, it's grace, it's mercy. The fact that you woke up today and were able to get here, mercy, it's grace. The fact that you're surrounded by people that love you, that care about you, that want to walk with you, it's mercy, it's grace. Please don't let it become manna. The fact that the most high God, exalted above it all, calls you son daughter my hope it doesn't is that it doesn't turn into just manna that maybe your eyes would be able to see it a little bit differently today that the most high God calls you son or daughter God, forgive us for the ways that your blessings have become normal. Would you retrain us to see the manna in our life as the miracles that you've placed there, the gifts, the grace, the presence, the mercy from uh, the very giver of life himself? And would you give us hearts that want to respond? Lord, may your consistency never erode our ability to see and live in and experience the grace that you shower down. It's in your name that we pray, amen. This audio was from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not alter the content in any way. 
For more information about South Fellowship Church, please visit southfellowship.org.